I do self-inventory a lot over whether I'm happy or not with my career and where I'm going. And you get advice from people saying, oh, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. And one of the questions I always ask myself is like, am I going to be happy doing X, Y, or Z? I think that's one of the reasons why I've, I've enjoyed what I, what I do is because I've been by and large happy doing it. You mentioned we talked about, you know, late nights and things like that earlier. Yeah, if I have to stay up 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning to get game charts done, I'll do it. Because I'm, I'm happy doing it, you know. You're, you're worried so much earlier in your career about individual success and hitting this marker, hitting that marker. A lot of this comes down to being happy with what you're doing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Pursuit, a journey in the life of sports. I'm your host, Chris Mongilia, Director of Men's Basketball Operations at Princeton University. This podcast is all about exploring the intellectual approach to maximizing your ability. We talk with accomplished professionals in the sports industry, and we learn what has allowed them to be able to succeed on their journey in the life of sports. The goal here is for listeners to collect as many high-performance habits and behaviors as possible, and then be able to adopt and apply them into their own lives and careers. On this episode, Derek Jones, the play-by-play voice for Princeton men's basketball, and as you will soon find out, a man of many other talents and roles, shares with us the unique beginning to his love and career in broadcasting. He discusses how his work alone in silence prepared him and gave him the confidence to travel down a path that no one in his inner circles had traveled down before. His response for which quality is the most important and constant through all of his tasks is an answer that I wasn't expecting, but an answer that everyone needs to hear. Derek's humility, team-oriented approach, and his passion for helping others is evident throughout this entire conversation. You will definitely want to tune into this whole conversation from start to finish, and I am so excited to share this with you all. Our guest today is Derek Jones, who is the play-by-play voice for Princeton men's basketball. In addition, he is the station manager for Rowan Radio, the play-by-play voice for Rowan Football, and he also teaches a sports broadcasting class at Rowan as well. And of course, we cannot forget about the host of the Mitch Henderson Show. A man of many talents for sure, which we will definitely dive into later in this episode. Derek has been doing play-by-play for Princeton men's basketball for eight seasons, and prior to that was the women's basketball play-by-play voice here for five seasons. A lot of people think that I have a really cool job, and I do, but most people think that it's the nationally televised games, the trips all over the country, and even some think it's the really awesome Nike gear that we get. And trust me, all of that's really cool. But the best parts of my job are the relationships that I get to build and the conversations that I get to have with people like Derek. During my time here at Princeton, it's been such a pleasure to work with him and get to know Derek, whether it's a dinner on a road trip, a conversation before a big home game, or even talking sports over some wings at A&B after an installment of the Mitch Henderson Show. And that's why I'm so excited to have Derek with us today. So without further ado, Derek, welcome, and thanks for taking the time for the conversation. Chris, it's an honor to be here. I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast. I've listened to some of the other episodes. You've done a fantastic job so far, so I'm happy to add to it. Well, this is like the student becoming the teacher now, really, Derek. I mean, when, I, when I started getting this going, I was calling you and Cody, who works here at Princeton, and being like, okay, guys, 
how do I do this so I don't look like a total idiot when I'm, uh, you know, recording a podcast. So I guess we have a lot to uh, to thank you for in this. Oh, no worries, man. It's, it's been a, a fun ride to see you develop your, your skills because you're, you're very modest about like, oh, I'm not sure if I can do this. And I said, nonsense, you, you, you're going to be great at this. And you have been. I <laughs> appreciate that. This is exciting for me. The roles are reversed now, right? Yeah. All those appearances on the Mitch Henderson show. I used to tell you during the breaks, I'm like, Derek, I'm going to flip the, swip on, the script on you and just start asking you questions on the Mitch Henderson show. And you're always like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen if we do that. So I'm excited to get this one going. Yes, the time, the time has arrived for me to, to go under the spotlight. So. <laughs> Uh, just going back to your youth, I kind of want to talk about your first memory of broadcasting or play-by-play announcing. What, what is that? So I was real lucky because growing up in the Philadelphia area, you're right in the smack dab middle of a big sports area and the, the four teams, the, the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers, and of course the Eagles, they all had great play-by-play announcers. So I grew up really the first guy who I really enjoyed listening to was Harry Callis, the late Harry Callis, who did a ton of work for the Phillies. But he also did, and what gets forgotten a lot of times is he was a great football announcer too. So he did a lot of play-by-play. So I, he was the first guy that I really connected with from a local level. And then right after that, the, the, the rest of the Philadelphia-based announcers and then Nationally, Pat Summerall and John Madden were the guys who really, like, they really got me hooked into how to watch sports, in particular football. So that's, in the early days of, of watching and listening, those were some of the, the guys who were, were so key. Gene Hart was the TV play-by-play man for the Flyers, and the Flyers were really good when I was growing up. They were going to Stanley Cup Finals and things like that. So it was a really fun time growing up to be in the Philadelphia area because all of the teams were very competitive and you got to hear a lot of their announcers call some really cool moments. So that, that period you're, you know, you're talking like late eighties at this point, early nineties and hearing a lot of that stuff really gave me the kind of the push to say, Hmm, I might be interested in doing this. How old are we talking? Are we talking like seven year old Derek Jones? Are we talking like when you're 11, that's when you started to be interested in it. Like what, what's the age? I would say probably about 10 years old was when I, I started to have an understanding of, of this and started to really take hold of it. Like I would kind of convince my mom to take me to like a newsstand. I always loved going to newsstands when I was a kid because I would like newspapers. I would read magazines. And one of the big things when I was younger was, you know, 10 years old, the NFL like that was 1989 right around there was like the first real big year I got into watching the NFL and I would go by the USA today on Fridays. And I would like, I didn't care about what else was going on in the world. All I wanted to do was get to the sports section because every Friday they had a capsule of all the games that were happening that weekend. But the thing I wanted to see was who were the announcers. So they'd have the announcers lined up, in each game. So I wanted to see, so the Eagles are playing today at one o'clock. Do they have Pat Summerall and John Madden? No, that stinks. So if they don't, where are those guys? And is there any chance I could possibly watch that game? So I really got into that. So, and and that really 
that really carried me into getting interested into the business. So I would, I would just torture my poor mother, like trying to find, like, mom, can you take me somewhere where I can get a newspaper? Like they would go to Atlantic City sometimes. Well, I shouldn't say sometimes, but they, they were frequent visitors of the Atlantic <laughs> City area. So they, well, you know, they go in the casinos, go in the boardwalks and, and they like going down there. So they would take me and my brother in a lot of, in a lot of situations. So my brother would be kind of tasked with taking me with him. So he would take me to the arcades, but I made him, if there was at all possible a way we could find a USA Today, USA Today, I would find a USA Today. So even when we were at the casinos on Friday nights, um, he would, he's like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> so I need to find a newspaper, help me. So I would, I would, you know, convince him to take me there before we went back to the arcade and played video games. So it was, uh, I was a very, um, I was a very big pest with that stuff growing up. Hey, you like what you like. You like, yeah, exactly. I mean, those are, those are the pre NFL Sunday ticket days too. So you, whatever was on nationally broadcast in your market, that's what you were stuck with. So whenever you saw Pat Summerall and John Madden on the call, you're like, that's a treat. That's a good, it was, it was a big deal. So Back then, you get, and it's kind of sort of the same way now, but like you said, Sunday ticket, red zone, it just has completely changed the game. Back then, it was 1 o'clock. Maybe you had another game at 1 o'clock, but if the Eagles were at home, you'd get two games during the day, like whatever they were doing at home and then what was ever happening the opposite time. And then you didn't really see anything else in the league except for like the little highlight shows at halftime and then like NFL primetime at night. So what you could see was extremely limited back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, when you were getting going 10 years old, right? Like what did, how'd you practice? That's what I really want to know. Cause I mean, my dad was a high school football coach and I grew up around coaching and my mom has visions. I remember it vaguely, but I used to have like a little football set. Yeah. Like little figurines and, uh, I was obsessed with the locker room. Like that was my thing. And I had this little box that was labeled the locker room and I used to give like pregame speeches and they probably made no sense at all back then, but I would give like a pregame speech, pretend to be my dad in my room. And that's like, that's where I practiced being a coach, you know? So like, what did that look like for you? So I realized I wanted to do this when I was around 10, but I didn't really have any way to, to practice it. Now, Um, I'm going to tie in one of my other obsessive things that I did when I was younger. I got into big time taping NFL games on VHS tapes. So I, to this day, I still have a like two or three boxes worth of NFL game tapes from like the nineties at my place. Wow. yeah, yeah, it's totally crazy. Any, so, any young kid who's watching this, Derek, is like, what's VHS? Yeah, they have no, they they have no idea what, what I'm is anymore. They don't even I know. know that. I'm, I'm really aging myself. <laughs> <laughs> really aging myself by doing this. But um, I, I did not, I didn't have any means of trying to figure out, like, how can I do this? Until I found a way to buy a cassette recorder. Now, this, this wasn't until I was, like, 13. So, um, I finally was able to get a, a tape recorder because I didn't know like how to do any of this stuff. So I got a tape recorder and I just took one of the old games that I had on tape. It was a 1994 game, Monday night football, Kansas city chiefs, Denver Broncos, Joe Montana comeback on Monday night football. 
And that was the first game I recorded using the recorder. So I just did play-by-play for it. And I was like, okay. And I went back and I listened to it. And I was like, oh, that wasn't awful. So let me try, let me try another one. So then I took the 1992 NFC Championship game, Dallas and San Francisco, recorded that onto a little recorder. So that was like, I was like, okay. All right. I, I think, I think, I don't know how good I am, but I think I can try this. Uh-huh. Because there's nobody, nobody can see me, nobody can hear me. So I can kind of put whatever spin on it that I want. And, and that was really kind of how I got involved. So um, I just started doing a couple games here or there that I started to figure out like, you know, writing and that whole deal. So uh, I was, it was really a, a fun time that that 13, 14, 15 year old period of my life was huge in terms of me, um, at least eventually getting to the point where I'm calling games on the air. You said Pat Summerall, John Madden, when when do you think that this became a reality for you that this was something that was actually feasible like I don't my high school didn't have a sports broadcasting you know club that you could be in like I I don't know that I would have thought that that was possible when I was that age so like when did you think that it was you know realistic for this to be something that you could do for a living well so that was the trick right going to college was a big decision because I knew that's what I wanted to do I wanted to go to to some school that had a communications program. I was a big University of Miami fan growing up as a kid. So I was like, Mom, Dad, I want to go to the University of Miami. <laughs> and they, they, they shut that down. They <laughs> said, so, no, you're not. You so, grew up in the U days. Like, that was like the real you back then. Yeah, right? yeah. So this was, this was on the – I didn't really start watching them until Jimmy Johnson had already left. Mm-hmm. And so this is like Dennis Erickson and, you know, Gino Toretta, like those, those cats. But – it's, it's funny. I, I didn't really know for sure what I wanted to do in terms of going to a college, but I knew there were two schools primarily that I was interested in. One was Temple and then one was Rowan. And I heard that those two communication programs were pretty good. So it wasn't until I really got into Rowan that I, I and I started to do stuff. I was like, oh, this is possible. So I'd say right around tail end freshman year when I started to get involved with the radio station, it's like, oh, okay, all right. I, I think, I think there's there's opportunity here for me, and that's one of the biggest thing. It's biggest things, having the opportunity to do it was big. Temple, you weren't necessarily going to get that right away. At Rowan, if you passed the test, if you went through the criteria and completed it, you could get involved pretty much as soon as it was possible for you to get involved. So mm-hmm. that really attracted me to to being at Rowan University. So that, and that gave me a great opportunity to really get involved because Rowan at the time was great across the board almost in every fall sport. So they were, they were broadcasting, Rowan Radio was broadcasting a lot of those games. So I got involved pretty much, um, pretty actively my sophomore year. That's so interesting because uh, Division three school, right? Rowan, Temple, obviously Division one. The, the opportunity for you to actually get experience not on your tape recorder and actually doing a game, yeah. having it, people are, oh my God, I'm not the only one in my living room listening to this. Like that experience puts you to the fire a little bit. And maybe at Temple, you might not have gotten that ever, or it would have taken you a longer time to do that. So absolutely. And, and the other thing too, is they have commercial radio guys calling football and calling basketball. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you got that opportunity, it wasn't going to be on the, the kind of platform that at least I thought would have helped you significantly develop 
So th- that's what Rowan was able to do. So, you know, I, I think it's having talent is great and all. It, it's, it's a nice thing to have, but you need the opportunity to be able to do things. And, and that, that's been a big part of my life, like being in the right place at the right time and being able to take advantage of it has been key for me. Mm-hmm. It's so uh, the, the fifth episode of this podcast was basically all about opportunity. And I talked about it a lot and someone I think about in terms of the sports broadcasting world um, was a kid, Steve Strom. I know you met him. Yes. Um, he was a Kane basketball player. I didn't coach him when I was at Kane, but I knew him through Rob Krasinski. Um, Rob, my former boss had did like a, an episode on his radio show. The kid was doing radio at Kane while he was a student. And I was listening to Rob and I'm like, yeah, Rob, like you're really good. But like, who's this kid? Like he's a student. He's like 19 years old. He's 20 years old. And he, he sounds like he's been doing this for years, you know? Um, and just that moment and stuck in my head. And last year, Cody was like, Hey, do you know anyone who wants to do radio for, for your home games? And I'm like, uh, I kind of know this kid from Kane. Like, let's give this kid an opportunity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff like that has been, I've, that is big, like huge for me to realize like opportunity and how can I use my platform right now to provide opportunities for other people. Um, right. That's, I think about that often of just getting someone that opportunity and, and it sounds like that happened for you at Rowan. Oh, no doubt about it. Frank Hogan was the station manager at Rowan radio and Frank had been a fixture in Philadelphia radio in terms of being able to do a lot of different things. He was a board op for the 76ers when uh, they were on radio at the the station he was working at at the time. And then, you know, he was an on-air talent as well. So he did a lot of different things throughout his career, but the cool thing was he brought that experience with him to Rowan and he gave opportunities to guys like me and, you know, really set, a plat- set up a platform for students to be able to kind of excel and, and work through things. And, you know, that's, you mentioned Steve, like, that's, that's what it is, right? I mean, he had the opportunity to get, to get reps. One of the things about students now versus when I was coming up, and they're lucky from this standpoint, in high schools, they, they have programs now where mm-hmm. you can do that kind of thing. And so the, the kids now get a little bit of a, of a faster start, which is huge because you have to put in the time in, in this field. Right. Just to talk a little bit further about the importance of support and maybe belief from others in your journey. I, I think that's, that's everything because, you know, at a certain point, all the, the support that you get from your parents is great, but they're not necessarily well-versed in, in your field. So I was really the first person in my family to really go into this kind of thing, mm-hmm. to go into media. So, you know, my parents, yeah, they watch TV. They, they, they listen to the radio. They, they will give me their opinion. Don't, don't get it twisted. They, <laughs> they will tell me if, uh, if they don't like something. But you want to hear from people who have been in the field. So I'll never forget this. I, I remember when... And, and Frank was really good at giving you feedback, good or bad. And so you knew, and that, that was the kind of thing that I was looking for because in order to get better at this, like you have to know what you're doing wrong. I remember there was a game I did as a color analyst for football one day, and I, 
I just, you know, I just went back and forth with the play-by-play announcer. And then, you know, I didn't think anything of it. Did the game. So I come into the station. Or no, I'm sorry. The following day, I went to my internship. And the one of the um, engineers at the internship I was at, I was interning at what's now WIP in Philadelphia, 94 WIP. And I was working Eagles games and things like that. And he said, the engineer said to me, he goes, I hear you like to use the word exactly a lot. I said, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. My friend uh, told me you, uh, you, you say exactly all the time whenever you're, you're making a point. And I still didn't follow him. And he said, my, my friend is Frank Hogan. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I'll, I'll remember that. Thanks. So then the next time I see Frank, I said, some guy told me about me saying exactly a lot. I didn't realize that. He said, yeah, you said it the other night like seven straight times during the football broadcast. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. <laughs> Stop doing it. I was like, oh, my gosh. But that's, that's the kind of support that Frank gave you. He, he wanted you to do well. And he was good at putting people in positions to do well, but also the platform he provided by just offering so many opportunities for students by tackling Rowan sports and, and being able to cover football, basketball, soccer. There, there was no excuse. If you wanted to do this, there was no real excuse for you not to be able to go out and do it. If you could fill in the blank here, and maybe you already have, um, I wouldn't be where I am today without the support of who? Oh, no, no question. My mom and dad, you know, they, I was a commuter, so I brought home the, the, the highs and lows every day and they were very supportive of me. I know um, that, was, that was a big thing because freshman, sophomore year, th- you know, college was a big adjustment for me because that was the first time in my life where you're not hearing that you're super great at something every, every day. Like you didn't have people patting you on the back. Like high school, you know, there are highs and lows in high school, but you're not really you're not really focused at least I wasn't at the time I really wasn't focused on the finish line when I get into college and you you're you know you're worried about your career and your path once you get out of college and there's there's a lot of of um mental angst that you go through thinking are you good enough thinking am I doing the right thing should I try another field should I I minor in something all these different things and my parents you know that my parents were were there with me every step of the way and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have followed through on things um, w- without, without their support, without question. Mm-hmm. You touched on it a little bit. The word confidence, what has that meant to your journey? A lot. I, I was a wallflower growing up as a kid. So I didn't really, I didn't have the confidence to talk. And going back to the tape recorder thing, like that gave me the confidence to, to do it because the only person who could hear that was me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have to worry about an audience. So that's kind of where I got the, the, the confidence, at least in the very beginning to do this, but confidence is everything. I, I tell students that I work with now and some of them, you can hear the trepidation in, in their voice sometimes when they're delivering something and they could positively know what they're saying, but they don't carry it through effectively in some cases. And I've said to them, I said, you know, the person listening on the other side of this 
you have to make them believe that you know what you're talking about. And if you don't do that, then it's going to affect how you call the game, how you give the information to the public. You, you have to be confident about what you're saying and doing because if you don't, and if you're not, then it's, it's going to be a struggle for you. So I've always told students that you've got to be confident about what you're delivering. I said, even if it's not right, you know, you can come through and, and make the correction on it, but you have to be confident. You have to be self-assured about what you're doing and saying, because it, you, you can sense that when you're listening to the games. Mm -hmm. Just talking about a little bit more of confidence, how important has that been for like new jobs that you were taking or new experiences that you were going into, you know, leaving an internship and maybe taking a position, like how important has the confidence been in those transitional spots? It's, it's been important. I think that making the transition from certainly Rowan to Princeton, when I started calling games for Princeton, um, and I was still calling games for Rowan at the time, but once I started to make that transition to women's basketball, men's basketball, I started doing less in terms of on-air announcing at, at Rowan. And it was a different world for me. So I didn't know, I didn't know what, I, I didn't know my surroundings. You know, at Rowan, you kind of know, you know the path, you know what you need to do. When you get to Princeton, that was a big transition. I'm, I'm covering teams and players I don't know anything about. So you have to get that beat down. And then the big transition was, when we slowly started to integrate web and TV into things, because then all I have learned pretty much throughout my career was radio. Mm -hmm. And then I have to switch it to web. You have to call games for the web. And then, then you're calling games for TV. And that adjustment has been, I mean, huge. So when you, when you go through these periods, you, you, have to, you have to have confidence. You have to, because if you don't, you know, people are going to detect that and they will detect it in body language. They will detect it in how you talk, like things like that are easy to pick up on. So I think that for, for me, confidence in making the transitions, I think that I knew at the end of the day that my skill set was, was good enough to help get me to a certain point, but you have to, you have to have confidence and belief that you can do whatever task that is in front of you. Because again, you know, if, if you don't have that confidence in yourself, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to believe in you in some situation. So I think that's always been important for me. You know, if, if I was offered a new opportunity, I was nervous about it for sure. But at the end of the day, I tried to learn as much as possible about going into that situation so that I at least felt comfortable and work, could work towards a level where ultimately I, I got comfortable and was doing an effective job. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from what we're talking about right now, it sounds like preparation has given you the confidence to do all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. No, no question. Preparation is, is huge. And I worked with a, a lot of people who you learn about pe preparation. Uh, John Sadak, who used to do Princeton men's basketball, he's doing uh, college football for Westwood One, and he does uh, college football and college basketball for CBS Sports TV. I called games with him in college. We both went to college together and he was the sports director before I was at Rowan radio. Mm -hmm. So learning from him, he was like Google before Google was a thing, <laughs> right? So he, he would have all of this information on 
players and coaches and he would, he would have it written down. And I was like, man, this is like, I, and we, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, about how he would go about getting things. He's like, it's nothing, nothing crazy. You just, you know, you have to play connect the dots on the internet sometimes, or you have to go to a practice. You, you cannot be afraid to talk to people. And that was one of the things for me early on in my career Calling the game is calling the game, right? But to set yourself apart from different broadcasters and to, to bring a different and unique perspective to a broadcast, you have to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you just get stuck in the silos and you're just calling the game, it's really tough to tell any kind of story. So you have to be able to talk to people, and that's a part of the preparation. So talking to coaches, talking to players if you can, all those things, that's certainly an element of it. But I spend a few days a week for games, preparing game charts. I never thought I would be like, you, you know, using Microsoft Word throughout the course of my week. Like, all right, typing in information about this player or that player. Like, how many blocks does a Miles Stevens have? What's Richmond Oriri Guzzo's shooting percentage? Since, like, a guy like that, for example – where he makes this big transformation throughout his career, you want to tell that story. And those are the kinds of things that I think if you don't prepare that you're going to miss out on. And that's what you want to relay to the viewer and the listener. All the Princeton Tiger fans are super happy that you have that work ethic because I know they always enjoy listening to you on home games for sure. They always talk about you, Derek. (laughs) Thank you. And and that's, you know, that's the thing The the parents – and I, I've always thought about that a lot. You know, the parents who listen to the game, they don't have, in a lot of cases, the ability to get to every single game. Sure, they can get to a home game every now and again. But as you know, a lot of these rosters at Princeton, throughout college basketball in a lot of cases, it's not like the guys who are living in a 20-mile radius. You're talking about people from all points of the country who are playing on a team together. And that means the parents – can't get to every game. So I've always tried to respect the, the parents and the families of those players because they want to know about their son. They want to know about their son's teammates or their daughter's teammates, and they want to know why the team is playing well or why are they struggling. So that's I've always tried to paint that picture uh, through preparation, and I think that, that's, that really makes or break any broadcaster, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Um, just pivot a little quick, a uh, little bit here. We'll go to uh, quick hitters, the segment that I might like the most on this, where we just talk to the guests and get some resources from them and, and uh, pluck some knowledge. So what are the three books that you would most likely recommend to someone to read? Okay. So about 10 years ago, I got really big into leadership books. So that's uh, my, my, Thought process is a little bit steeped into this. One would be The Winner Within by Pat Riley. Great book. It has so many tidbits that I really enjoy. It's basically viewing leadership through the prism of what he did with the Lakers and then the first couple of years with the Knicks. And it talks about all these concepts that I never heard before, like the disease of me is one of my favorite chapters in a book. I started reading it. And I'm like, the disease of me, what is he talking about? And then by the end, you get it. It's like the 80, 81 Lakers who were 
NBA champions basically imploded because guys really didn't know how to handle success. Guys have become resentful of Magic Johnson and the, the level of fame that Magic Johnson had reached, and it just blew up on them, and they got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. So, like, that book to me was one. Um, another one, Leading with the Heart by, by Mike Krzyzewski, is a really good one because it, it also is another leadership book that takes a look at team building and not only how to, to build a team, not only how to succeed with a team, but also keeping relationships with people past the time when their playing days are done, which, you know, is, is an underrated thing. I think about coach K you see so many guys have great relationships with him outside of when they actually played with him. And that's really unique. And then the last one would be Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell that talks about some of the, some of the great concepts. My, one of my favorite concepts of anything, of any book I've ever read, the 10,000-hour rule, right? It talks about to master something, you have to put roughly 10,000 hours into it. That just sets you up to potentially succeed. Now, the other part of that book is it's not necessarily all about talent. It's about situation and opportunity that helps you ultimately excel. So that, that book is, is one of my favorites. So those would be the three I think would be my go-tos. Eric, Outliers is like in my top three, like hands down. It's, it's really? basically, I, I think I live a lot of my life based off of that book. Like it, it's so true. Like obviously hard work and the 10,000 hour rule is a thing. People have debunked it. People have proven it. Like it's such a highly debated topic, the 10,000 hour rule. But like yeah. at the end of the day, there's no substitute for hard work. So if you're doing anything for 10,000 hours, you better be good at it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's the thing, you know, um, the, the story, there's, there's a quick blurb in there about the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Like the Beatles, nope. the Beatles performed, like they, they, their first hit in America was something like 1964, but they've been performing they were performing seven days a week yep. before that. Like, think about that in, in, in this era. Like, even before COVID, you don't hear bands performing seven days a week. They might practice a couple times and then have a big gig, but they're playing a club seven days a week for basically the lead-up for the first couple of years from 1960 through, like, 62, 63. Yeah. Outliers is it's the best. Anyone who's listening that hasn't read that book, like you have to read it because it always, it basically proves that anytime you see someone that's successful, like there's a big story behind that. Like there's a reason why you're seeing them or why you think they're successful. It's basically, they put all this time in, they did all this work and then right place, right time. Like that's a huge component of it too. And that's the, sure. the thing of chance, the thing of timing, like all that stuff. And that's why it sounds like we're aligned in this is like, we try to just give people opportunities. Like that's all I do here is try to, you know, we have student managers and if I can put them in a position that they get some experience to do something that launches them on a career path, like, heck yeah, I'm going to do that. Like, that's it. Cause they have a skill set, and let's provide them an opportunity and let's see where they can go with it. You know, like that, man, I could just talk about, we could do a whole episode on outliers. I love that book. So it's, it's really an awesome book. I was, oh man, I remember a couple years ago, somebody came in to the station for here at Rowan for a visit and they said, Oh, did you hear Malcolm Gladwell was here on campus? Oh my God. And I just, I just stared at him. It's like, <laughs> no, 
He was here. Yeah. And, but he was here to tape a podcast or tape an episode of a podcast to do some, well, it's more so research for, for a podcast episode on Henry Rowan who had mm-hmm. made the big donation right, right. Uh, here at the university. So um, I, I was just like, man, I really want, he's on my bucket list of people to meet. For he, sure. Have you read all his other books too? Or most of them? I've read most of them. Um, the, the new one talking, talking to strangers. To I, I have not, read that one yet i have it but i haven't finished it yet it's solid it's solid i read it yeah it's a good one it's a good one Derek. this is not quick hitters anymore this has become the malcolm gladwell show <laughs> uh next on quick hitters is the most interesting person that you follow on twitter or instagram does not have to be business related it can be you find them interesting david goggins on instagram mm-hmm. he is a 45 year old uh retired navy seal and he is the most intense individual I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I have his book. It's, my, it's next up in my queue of things to read. It's really? My, yeah. It's my next up. So he just did the, I think it was the Moab 240, mm-hmm. where he's in Utah. And the 240 is, he's running 240 miles. It's crazy. Like, and I think it's over the, the span of five days. Mm-hmm. And he, he just actually released this video where he's sitting in his car and he's talking about the experience and he's talking about how his mom basically like said, you know, you're too old for this, you know, and he's using it to pump himself up. Yeah. Like, No mom, you're wrong. I'm not too old for this. Oh like, man. man, take it easy. David Goggins. I can't wait to read that book. Ryan Schreeder told me about it. He's, he's pushing me to read the book. So I got to read it. Um, next one, most meaningful speech that you've ever heard and why? Uh, this is a tough one because there's, um, I would say, so I'm a big politics guy when we get to presidential race season. Mm -hmm. So I, I would, I would go with Barack Obama's speech at the 2004 Democratic National Convention. Okay. Because that is a, a unifying speech. It is one of the moments where y- you, you finish listening to it and you're like, huh, hey, that guy that guy's going to be somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what he's going to do. Maybe he'll become president. I don't know. Right. But he's... He's going to, that guy's going, that guy's going places. Uh, that's what, that's what I really thought um, watching that. Cause I, I like watching speeches at all the conventions because it's such the, the whole, pro, like I've been to a, uh, I covered a, a DNC at work. So like, I just, I eat that stuff up. Mm-hmm. All the conventions I, I watch as much as I can. And the speeches are, are just so interesting to hear. And I think that one, that one really stood out to me because I never heard anybody frame America. Like, you know, it's, it's not this kind of America. It's not that kind of America. It's the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a real impactful statement. I, I will also say another great one is Jim Valvano's speech from the ESPYs in 1993. Oh yeah. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. That's definitely in the top five for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I remember I used to go to the Jimmy V Classic. It used to be held at, man, I think it, it must have been Continental Airlines Arena back then or Izod Center. I don't know. The name's changed so many times. But I used to go with my mom every year. And the first time that we went at, 
I think was it halftime of the first game they put on the speech and it's the first time I had ever seen it. I didn't even know who Jimmy V was when I was going to the Jimmy V classic. Like it, he wasn't as, you know, well known as he is now. And I just remember like staring at the screen and being so captivated by like that moment and that speech. Uh, so that's definitely a good one. Oh, I don't know. That was quick hitters. I don't know how quick it was, but <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll try and get back into this. Um, <laughs> So station manager of a radio station, mm-hmm. I don't know if you refer to yourself as a professor, but I'm going to call you a professor, Okay. Um, a play-by-play announcer and a radio show host. So those all require different skill sets. Can you talk about how maybe they're similar, those roles and how they're different? They all, they all require teamwork. I think that's one of the biggest things about those across, across the board. So, and I, I certainly got the, the feel of this when I started doing TV stuff for Princeton and uh, ESPN as well. Like all of the people that it takes to make a broadcast work is immense on the TV side and radio as well. Like you can be as good as you want to be calling games, your partner can be as good as he wants to be calling games. It's, it doesn't matter if the tech people can't figure out the tech stuff. If you don't have good producers, all of that stuff, that, that matters. And um, teamwork is so vital to all of those operations. Here at, at Rowan University and, and running the radio station, I have always enjoyed being around coaches because I feel like in some teeny tiny way I can relate to them. Because having kind of some of your career success defined by 18 to 22-year-old students <laughs> is a somewhat scary place. Borderline insanity. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is, it is a very different place to be mentally um, on a day-to-day basis. So there, there's some days where I'm like, man, this is great. There are other days where I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is just – this is crazy. But I, you know, I love it. I think so. I've always been able to, I think, understand the challenges that coaches face from just building a team. And because I have to do a lot of the same things in uh, my manner, I think one of the differences obviously is the fact that you, you have to ride more highs and lows with working with students than you would maybe doing play-by-play for a game or um, hosting a radio show. It's like, you know, when you're teaching students, you have to be patient. Mm -hmm. And in play-by-play and being a radio host, you do have to be patient, but it's a different kind of thing. Um, You you have to be patient to see students develop their skills. Your, Your level of expertise is nowhere near maybe what a student is coming in with who and I've had students before have been law and justice majors who are coming into a communications class and you have to kind of cultivate them to a point to where they feel comfortable doing this so I think there's a lot of patience that's required in in certainly different pockets of my jobs that maybe play-by-play and whether it's tv radio it's like go 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 like you just have to have you just have to keep moving when you're doing those kind of things. Dealing with students, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to be patient from time to time 
and and hope that they kind of understand what you're talking about and then see them execute it. Mm-hmm. I just want to go back to what you said about teamwork. Um, it's triggered me to, to have this thought. I remember doing group projects in school and teachers always being like, oh, you know, group projects are important because you have to learn how to work with other people. Yep. And I remember being like, no, group projects are the worst because there's always someone that like doesn't pull their weight and then you wind up having to do all their work. And I never understood how important group projects might have been like in school than I do being an adult and having a professional job and like hearing you say teamwork for being a professor is like interesting to me, but there is a lot of, you know, there is a lot of camaraderie and there's a lot of togetherness in that process. Absolutely. And that sports broadcasting class, that's, you know, we, we do group assignments at the end of the semester. So, and to your point, I was like that as a student, a lot of the students we have now are like that as students they don't want to do group work. They'd rather, they'd rather rise and fall on their own merits, which yeah. I, I get, but that's not how the world works. Yeah. Just give me what I need to do to get my grade and then I'll be on my way. But that's not how it works at all. I mean, right. we're obviously the campuses all over the country are in a different, um, you know, environment with the whole COVID thing. And right now we're, you know, as coaches, I'm working with university health services right now about like testing and yeah. we have a testing center. We're delivering test kits, like all this stuff. And one of the the heads from university health services is like, Oh my God, like working with athletics is awesome and like refreshing. And you're all like so willing to help. And you're such a team oriented um, group of individuals. And it's like opening my eyes to the benefits of being in sports because you have to like team sports, you have to work together on a staff of a basketball team. Like, we have no choice but to to work with our other assistant coaches and our head coaches and be in sync. And, and like, if someone's not pulling their weight, like pull them up a little bit. Like it, she, like the lady who is talking to me about all the stuff is like opening my eyes to all that. And she's like, oh, I would, I only want to hire athletes now moving forward after working with you guys. Like that's what she's saying to us, which is interesting. Because, you know, athletes, people work in, in athletic offices, they, they're, they're brought up and the concept of teamwork. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the important things. So many times students think that them as an individual performer is enough to just on their own merits alone is enough to help them get to point A to point B to point C, so on and so forth. That's probably not true. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to need help in some capacity from one of your contemporaries at some point to truly reach maybe your ultimate goals. For sure. For sure. What, what do you think the most important either skill set or personality trait of yours is the most important in all of your jobs? Like what's constant through all of those tasks? Trying to be a good listener. I think that trying to understand people and why people make decisions on a day-to-day basis and trying to process that information. If you're doing a game, you know, you want to know why, uh, why things happen during the course of a game. You want to make sure you understand people's stories as how they got to the university, how they got to the team, all that stuff. And then you want to try to relay that story out over the air. I think as a professor or as a station manager here, you have got to be a good listener in particular because 
in a lot of cases, you, you have to anticipate the problem before the problem gets here. Mm -hmm. So I think being a good listener kind of has helped me with that. And that's just like, that's just naturally me. I'd rather sit somewhere like a dinner table and listen to other people talk rather than me talk. <laughs> like I just, cause I, I find people naturally interesting. I, I just don't, you know, I'll talk, but I would much rather hear people tell stories. Yeah. This is and, laugh so much. Like who gives the answer of being a good listener? Like, I love the answer. It's an amazing answer. And that's like, so you, I like, I, I didn't know you were going to say that, but now thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, of course he's going to say that. Like, that makes <laughs> sense. and I'm just thinking about like all the times that we sit down at like what I mentioned in the beginning at a dinner or at A and B after the Mitch Henderson show. Like I always ask you questions always because I know that you always sit there and usually listen and like I want to hear from you like I want to that's what I want to do like I am I think I'm a good listener at times you know and yeah. like I want to hear other people talk and learn that's why I'm doing a podcast like I know sometimes I give my opinion a little bit but I like to hear what other people have to say and like hearing you say being a good listener is the most important thing you do like oh my god we should just end the show right now after that <laughs> But I, I just think I just think it's really important. And, you know, I I come from a family of mostly big personalities. So like growing up, I didn't have any choice but to listen. So I didn't have any choice but to listen. So I, I really um I, I was just I, I would just watch and, and just kind of take everything in and that's something I've always kind of carried with me, you know, and just the being around whether it's team environment or students. And that's like one thing I, I do want to say that being around students, just, it gives you so much energy. Mm -hmm. And so you want to talk to them and you want to hear and experience what they're going through and kind of learn from them. And I think that's one of the, the big reasons why I've loved my jobs so much is that being around students is is really a, a great a great thing so that has also helped me uh, cultivate my listening skills because sometimes i'll be in the middle of something and they want to come in and talk and i don't have any other choice but to listen so, <laughs> so you you know that that's one of the things i've always prided myself on the, the other thing i think too is i i will not i will drain every single drop that i can out of a day i am not a, a super heavy morning person I'm a night owl through and through. And so like I, each day I will set up tasks. I will write, I will set up to-do lists and I won't rest until that's all completed during the course of a day. And that's, that's something with broadcasting that I've had to learn how to do. You have to multitask and you have to be able to keep going from game to game to game to be able to, to get your job done. Yeah. I'm going to put you on blast right now. Uh oh! Um, you responded to my email the other morning at 1.50 a.m. And I remember waking up and seeing this and being like, what is he doing up at 1.50 a.m.? Well, I mean, tell the people, like, what are you doing? Go to bed. I know. And, and people, people call me out on that all the time. They're like, why are you emailing me at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m.? <laughs> like, go to bed. Like, what's wrong with you? That's just, that's just, how, that's just how I've been. I mean... I think as time has gone on within the last 10 years in particular, it's not that I, I 
want to do that. It just, it just, it just happens. Like I watch a lot of sports. I watch a lot of TV. So, you know, my brain keeps moving after that's over. So I just, I stay up like NFL, Sunday night football games over at 11 o'clock. What am I doing? I'm watching sports center. I'm watching NFL network. I, so I just keep going and going and going. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's tough to just turn your brain off, you know, at least for me. And one of the things I, I try to do on a daily basis, I try to write every day. And if I haven't gotten that in, I'll do that. You know, it's funny you mentioned that email. <laughs> I was writing that and I said, should I send this? Because you're, I, cause you're the type of person who catches that stuff. And I said, I said, you know what? I, I typed it. So let me just hit send. And of course, of course you mentioned it, but no, that's, you know, honestly, like that, there's a period where like I come home, um, you know, I come home late from work. A lot of t- cases I go out, I work out and, and then by the time all that stuff's done, I'm like, all right, let me read a book now. Let me, uh, let me write a little bit and you look up and it's one, one thirty. It's like, you know, I got out of that obviously during quarantine when the stay at home order was really, uh, in, in full swing. But now that, you know, things have, you know, we're back at work here. I'm, I'm back to my old habits. One of my friends yells at me all the time. He's like, how can, I don't understand why you do this to yourself. You need to start waking up at like four 30, five o'clock, five 30 in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I yeah. can do. I mean, I can do it, but this I don't know. that. I didn't know this. Yeah. I yeah, would have scheduled this to be at uh, 11 AM. I would have given you like 2 PM time slot. If I knew that you were such a late, late night guy. Uh, no, that's, that's fine. I, I am, I am adaptable. I will, I will conform to whatever is necessary. Yeah. No, the, the piece that you said about the students kind of giving you the energy and why you love your job so much is such like, it's such a big reason why coaching is like the best job of all time. Yeah. Um, the, the, the players on our team, they, they give us the juice, you know, like if I'm, ha- if I'm having a bad day at work, if I'm, you know, having, I was just in six meetings and I was bouncing around Jadwin all day going in and out of like a ticketing meeting or a marketing meeting or whatever the case may be. And I'm just like, ah, that's not going well. This isn't going well. Like once we get into practice and the guys walk in, you just forget about everything. And you're like, I'm so happy to see them. They're happy to see us. We're playing basketball. We're coaching basketball. Like that's, that's like the lifeblood. And it's why, it's why COVID quarantine has been so difficult for us. Mm -hmm. Just like we're missing those guys. They keep us young. I know things that are going on in the world that like, if I, you know, if I didn't have them to tell me what the heck, you know, TikTok was, I would be like, I don't know what the heck that thing is, you know? (laughs) Um, So no, for sure. Just on that, on that same kind of wavelength, like you're, you've done some ESPN games now, right? You're you're nationally televised ESPN games, ESPN two, all that travel. They, They fly you across the country. All that stuff is great. So talk about the difference between doing a nationally televised ESPN game and traveling with us on a road trip? It's, it is different. It's different from the perspective of the teams you're covering. Um, You're a little bit more left to your own. So, so one of the, one of the things that I have always appreciated about Princeton is just team to team the, the, the bond is, is always there. It's, it's a really unique experience when you're covering a game nationally, you don't really get that same vibe because 
you're you're coming in and you're you're taking a look at team A and team B and you're going to the shoot around for each team, you're talking to each side. So you get the stories down, but it is a little bit it, it is a little bit of a, of a different feel because you're you're coming in dealing with not necessarily that you don't know about the teams, but just the environment altogether is just very it's very different. I travel with a team. Um, when I'm doing a game nationally, I travel alone. So mm-hmm. like even something like that, like that's a, that's a big that's a big difference, you know. And because I'm normally meeting whoever I'm calling the game with, they're in a different part of the country. And even though I'll talk to them before the game, I don't see them in some cases up until like maybe the day before the game or we'll see each other at shoot around or something like that. So it's, it's more of a feel of an independent contractor when you're calling a game nationally versus when you're covering a team, like you're, you're with the team. So I think that's one of the real unique differences with it is just that just the, the, the vibe and the aura around the broadcast and the presentation of it totally changes when you're you're hitting it from okay these are two teams that we're going to call here tonight on ESPN2 or ESPNU and let's throw the ball up and let's get going Princeton it's more, it's more so like understanding how this is all going to 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 happen mm-hmm. how is the team going to perform under the conditions that have been presented to them like there's a, you're in the the weeds more versus a national broadcast just like I've kind of always known this, but this conversation has made it apparent. Like anyone who's ever listened to you call a game, like knows that you should be one of the people that everyone across the country knows who you are. Like you're, you're the best and we're so okay. lucky to have you. Um, but traveling with us fits your vibe more so than it does like going to an ESPN game and being an independent contractor and being like, okay, I'm in to cover this game. I'm out. Like, yeah. That's this is your vibe, like you know, walking down into the team meeting room and like sitting down and having a conversation with everyone and sitting there and listening to like, you know, now I know your mo. So once we get back on the road, like I'm gonna see it now. Like, yeah, all the times that you sit at the coach's table and you're just like looking at me and looking at Mitch and like, what are they talking about? Listening to what we're saying. Like, now I know I'm on to you. Now I'm just gonna make you ask, answer questions at the table next time we do that. I'm paying attention. Yeah, you I'm are. paying. I'm paying attention. It's not. I'm not. I'm not checking my phone nonstop. I'm paying attention. Yeah. So, but that's that's the thing. I just like the the environment and the feel. Like, yeah, you mentioned team meals. Like, you're turned loose in the city to to kind of like, all right, I got to go to Subway or I got to go right. to this place or, or that place to to take care of lunch before shoot around, and then I had to shoot around. And you're just, it's there's a lot more. You're just you're really you're really separated from um, the broadcast. The, the cool thing is you do get to work with a lot of uh, different people because of, and I mentioned the teamwork earlier, that all the tech people, the directors, the producers that, that do the game, you get a chance to meet them. But normally they're kind of uh, holed up in their truck getting ready for the game. So there, there's a lot more, um, more, more of a bonding experience, I think, with Princeton versus a national broadcast where it's just like, Boom, boom, boom. Call the game. Out. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you share a profound moment in your career, in your life, that you just pulled a lot of, res- of perspective from? Um, hmm. Well, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you two. I'll give you one. I'll try to make them uh, brief. 
I'll give you one from uh, certainly when I was in college that gave me a lot of perspective was when I first got to Rowan, I didn't, I mean, I knew what I wanted to do, but you know, how you get to that point and all that stuff, you know, that, that kind of is a little bit of a confusing thing from a certain standpoint. So you, you have, you know, you have guidance counselors and things like that. And I, there are a lot of guidance counselors I talked to my freshman and sophomore year because, you know, they're checking in on you, making sure you're going to, you're taking the right classes and all this stuff. One of them said to me once, you're not Michael Jordan. So what do you have to offer? Mm, Okay. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I'd come through a program called the EOF map program and the EOF map program was in, in part set up to, to help out, um, lower income families or minority students and help them with their college experience and kind of transfer into the process of being a college student. So I went through that program initially right like the summer of my freshman year so it was like basically a, a freshman orientation program so to speak mm-hmm. and that was one of the advisors one of the counselors said that to me um i think soon after freshman year started and the the point was you know at the time a lot of african american males in her view had been kind of um you know, they'll, they'll look at sports or they'll, they'll look at entertainment, different things like that to achieve. So she was like, she looks at my, she looks at my, uh, my class schedule. She looks at my resume and sees all these, sees, uh, worked here, you know, growing up, worked there, blah, blah, blah. So she detects it like, okay, I'm not an athlete. So what's the plan? Mm-hmm. And that was really one of the things that I thought of. I was like, huh. You know, and, and that was a real teachable moment for me because I realized, like, when you're here in college, it's like you're on, you are on your own, mm-hmm. basically. And as I was mentioning earlier, like, coming home after each day to my parents, like, that was a low day because I'm like, what is this lady talking about? I didn't understand what she was saying. But eventually I got it. You know, she, her point was, you know, you're in college. You've got to take advantage of this situation. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're not using sports or entertainment as a vehicle, what are, what are you bringing to this university? Mm-hmm. So, and, and that was, I was like, okay, all right, well, I will work on that. It's so Thank funny, you. Derek, because like when I first heard that, my initial reaction was like, well, that's the comments a little out of line. Like maybe that was a little harsh, but I had a moment when I was real like really young in coaching where I was at a, a basketball camp and I was like a, I think I was still a freshman coach and everybody else there was like playing pro, you know, a GA at a college, a division one head coach, or a division three head coach. Like I was way bottom of the totem pole and I was just trying to learn. And I was some guy like who I who will remain nameless, um, butted into a conversation I was having and was like, well, like, what makes you so good and worth being a D- division three coach or being a college coach. And I was just trying to learn, like I was just honestly asking. And I remember being like, you know, words I'm not going to use on this podcast t- towards this guy. Like, what are you talking about? You know? But in that moment I was furious and I was like, how, how rude was that guy? Like I was just trying to answer or like, you know, get some answers on how I can move from high school to coaching college. And this guy's like jumping down my throat and being, you know, 
how he was. And it wound up being a moment where I was like, okay, maybe that, maybe that was good that he said that because it made me think about it. You know, he wasn't the nicest person the way he handled it, but like, it actually was a moment that I reflected on, you know? Um, So it's interesting to hear you say that, like um, that, that directness that that counselor had with you was actually, you know, you went home that day and you were upset about it, but it made you think so. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. I was like, who, who is this person to say this to me? Like what? But I, I got the, I got the message. Yeah. What was the, uh, what was the other one? You said there was two. The last, uh, going back to March, um, that was, that was as profound as it gets. You know, Mm. I'm, I was looking at calling three conference championship games potentially in the course of like four days. Right. And then you get calls about, Oh, we're canceling this. We're canceling that. And you know, it, it shows you that. And I think the last six months have last six, seven months have been pretty important to show that like whatever we're doing, we're, we're all a part of something else that ultimately is bigger, right? So, you know, there are all the lives that have been affected, like me worrying about losing out on this opportunity or that opportunity pales in comparison to what has happened in the world over the last seven months. And I, you know, I I felt sorry for myself for a couple days. I'm like, man, this really, this is not good. And it didn't take long soon after that to see the impact it was having on the world to see like, yeah, this you calling games is not really important. You know, right. this is about safety and making sure that people get the kind of treatment and care that they need for us to get through this. Totally agree. I, I mean that I remember the 24 hours when we found out Ivy tournament was canceled. I was like, this is the end of the world. Like, well, how did they do this to us? We felt like such a victim because we were like yeah. the first ones. Um, and I, less than 24 hours later, we were sitting in Jadwin gym uh, spaced six seats in between each coach the whole athletic department was in there and president eyes gruber and our ad molly came in and we're like we're shutting everything down and i was just like whoa okay that happened quick so oh man yeah that's a that's a perspective moment for sure yeah no doubt and you start thinking about you know all the things that you've been doing up until that point like um my dad and i were in new york a couple weeks prior to things really breaking loose at least as far as we knew and you start thinking like was this in new york so you start like retracing all of your steps yeah Yeah. and thinking about whether you you know noah savage who you know a lot of friends and people know and he had he had contracted covid and he was one of the last people i saw right you know before things really got canceled on the college basketball side so you're thinking about man is he okay did I contract something? Did I give it to somebody? Like you start, you start thinking about all these crazy things mm-hmm. and like, you know, calling a basketball game re- really pales in comparison to all of that stuff. What do you think, what character trait do you think has been the most pivotal for your success? Mm. Um, I think being adaptable is, is something that has, has served me well throughout my life. I think that, you know, I've worked with a lot of different people over the years, whether it's supervisors or, or students who require you to do different things and require you to have different kinds of energy and you have to meet the challenges 
to whatever situation you're in. So I think being able to adapt to whatever situation I'm in, I think that's been uh, one of the things that's helped me out a lot in life because it's, I always come from the team concept, right? It's how is this going to help the team? Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always thought that's the most important concept. And when you think that way, you, you, being adaptable is, is huge. So I, I think that has been the number one trait for me. And, you know, we, we, we talked about preparation earlier. You know, I, when you go like calling games, radio, TV, all that stuff, that requires you to kind of change your way of thinking. So you, you, have, to, you have to be willing to change and willing to adapt. So I think, um, that's, I think that has been the number one thing that has helped me out a great deal. Mm-hmm. Man, I usually try to cut up some sound bites to put at the beginning of these episodes, and I'm going to have a really hard time figuring out which one to put at the lead. <laughs> <laughs> You've got some gems on this one. Uh, last question I got for you is an interesting one. Um, how much of a role or how much of a factor is the word happiness in your life and career? Ooh. I think it's important. Um, I, I do self-inventory a lot over whether I'm happy or not with my career and where I'm going. And you get advice from people saying, oh, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. And one of the questions I always ask myself is like, am I going to be happy doing X, Y, or Z? And that's, that's a major consideration, you know, Um, I I think that was one of the things about this field that you have to come to grips with. You have to be happy with doing this and you have to love doing it in order to, I think, be ultimately happy with your performance because otherwise it's just going to be, um, it's going to be a tough thing for you to live with on a day in day out basis. I think happiness, it's, it's, it's huge because if you're not if you're not happy with what you're doing, people are going to see that. I mean, it's just you know, if people whether you put a certain presentation of yourself out there on social media, ultimately what it comes down to is what people see when they see you. And if you're not happy, that's that's not easy to hide, you know. Um I think that's one of the reasons why I've I've enjoyed what I what I do is because I've been by and large happy doing it, you know, is, is getting at home at four 30 in the morning. Does that make me happy sometimes? No, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think ultimately, you know, it's, it's all for a, a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know that what you're doing, you're enjoying. Like I, you mentioned, we talked about, you know, late nights and things like that earlier. Yeah. If I have to stay up, two, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning and get game charts done. I'll do it. It's because I'm, I, I'm happy doing that. You know, I love sitting in my office and just, you know, taking a look at game notes, taking I have a little TV set up and I'm watching things and stuff like that. So all of that stuff comes from a place of happiness. And I, I think you, you have to, that's what, that has certainly been a thing that I've learned certainly um, as over the last 10 years in particular, it's like, you're, you're worried so much earlier in your career about individual success and hitting this marker, hitting that marker. A lot of this comes down to being happy with what you're doing because being happy with what you're doing, I think, is more important than being really good at something and being miserable from it. 
because then eventually you're going to hate it and turn on it anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, if anyone listening to this conversation isn't, it's not clear that you're living your passion every day and the positive energy that you have is, is so much of who you are and what you do. And those students at Rowan, they don't know how lucky they are to have Derek Jones as a professor and, uh, and their leader. So Derek, this has been a lot of fun, man. I just looked at the clock and I was like, Oh wow, we've been going longer than I thought. Uh, so hopefully, uh, everyone enjoys this as much as we enjoyed, uh, talking to each other and, Hope to see you soon, man. Manj, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity uh, for doing this. It's been a lot of fun to, to talk about so many different aspects. A lot of different things I don't get to talk about normally, um, which is which is a really cool thing to do. So thanks for having me on. And yeah, I cannot wait to see you guys in person again down the line. Hope to see you back in Jadwin soon, Derek. Absolutely, sir. All right, man. See you. Take care.